0: Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. Okay, you guys, here we go.
1: This is the Kern River Fly Shop Podcast. I'm your host, Guy Jeans, podcasting directly from the Kern River Fly Shop in Kernville, California. On this podcast, we discuss everything outdoors. We talk about conservation, music, and life. This episode is brought to you by Sims Fishing Products, Fish It Well, Reddington Fly Rods, Find Your Water, Rio Lines, Leaders, and Tippets, Make the Connection, and Costa Sunglasses, whose frames are made from recycled nets to help protect our oceans. I'm ready. Are you ready? Let's do this! Right on, right on. We're we're here for the very first podcast ever with the Kern River Fly Shop Podcast, and super stoked to be here. I've got some great guests. Um, they're really good friends of mine, and... Uh, they're really well-known in the, in the California fly, which fly fishing world, not only for their fly tying expertise, but also for their fishing abilities for many species in both fresh and saltwater. They are currently guides for the Kern River Fly Shop and instructors at the fly fishing school. They teach everything from beginning to advanced fly fishing and fly tying. When they told me last year they wanted to work for the shop, I was completely honored and totally stoked. Not only do I get to work with these fishy dudes, I get to go fishing with them, too. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce my friends Rob and Ryan Bueller, the Bueller brothers. Welcome to the first podcast, brothers.
2: Hey now, how you guys doing? Hey now, what's up?
1: Good to have you guys. Uh, haven't seen you in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, I wanted to kind of just um, you know talk to you guys about a couple of things. You know, everybody usually talks about you know uh, you know where you were born and all that kind of stuff. And I, I will maybe we'll get to that stuff, but. Um, I want to talk to you guys and kind of give everybody the history of like how we met, how you guys got involved with the shop and the club and that sort of thing. And Ryan, I know you or uh, Rob. I know you got a a story of like how you met me in the shop and that sort of thing.
3: Yeah. This goes back almost 15 years now. Um, uh, Ryan and I came up for a tournament 15 years ago on the current. I asked Ryan if he wanted to come up for a little tournament and we, uh, Discussed having to join the club to, to come up and be in the tournament. And Ryan was a little um, apprehensive about that, um, but we we ended up joining the club, came up for the tournament. I don't really remember meeting Guy on that first outing at the tournament, but Ryan Ryan met him at that tournament, and we were welcomed by Chiaki Harami, another friend of ours, at, at that first uh, tournament. But it was shortly after that, Ryan and I were coming home from an adventure on the Eastern Sierras, and we ended up uh, getting run off the highway um, by a truck that was coming uh, the opposite way on a two-lane highway and rolled our truck several times. And after that, kind of was a a life-changing moment for for both of us, and I decided I was going to go ahead and book a trip to come up and do some fishing with you and and meet you on the current and...
1: Did we book a trip or did
3: I I did book a trip with you and mm-hmm. and it came up And that first day. The, the river was blown out. It was all muddy. There was a bunch of uh, rain. So we kind of just hung out in the shop. It was the old shop. that was that's now the school. And there's that fireplace next door. <laughs> yeah. Kind of where, where, where we're hanging out now. <laughs> right. um, so it had a cool vibe back then. They had the fireplace in there and, and it was it was in early winter. So it was pretty quiet around the shop and, and we just kind of hung out all day.
1: And had mm-hmm. lunch together and got to meet each other a little bit. That was fun, man. What about you, Ryan? Well, mm-hmm.
2: yeah, I first came up here. God, I can't even remember when my in-laws at the time moved to Bakersfield. And Rob and I were fishing the east side, and we didn't know anything about the Kern. And I was sitting bored down there, and they told me about the Kern. And so I came up here one day. Rob figured out where the Johnsondale Bridge was in the wild trout section. But it was in midsummer. I drive up there. Parking lot's full. And I turned around, came down, found a little spot to pull over, and it was great. I went out right away, caught two fish on grasshoppers, and I thought this was the greatest river ever. Yeah. It was amazing. (laughs) And the next couple outings definitely humbled me on that and figured out the river was a little tougher than I thought. But like Rob said, we came up in 2007 was that tournament. We were driving home from Crowley, and Rob goes, there's a... Fly fishing tournament on the Kern, you want to go? And I was like, yeah. He goes, we got to join this club, though. And I was like, oh, man. And all I picture is a bunch of good old boys sitting around a table, old guys. And But we decided to go for it and kind of led us this way to the Kern. And we show up, and sure enough, there's that table, and there's a bunch <laughs> of old guys that were the original club members for the Southern Sierra Fly Fishers. Yeah. And they looked at us like, who are these guys? Yeah. And sure enough, right in the middle of the table was a bottle of Limoncello. Uh And still, it took me about a year or two to figure out if the club was really a Limoncello drinking club or a fly fishing club at first, because that always seemed to be a prominent part of it all. Uh And luckily, because at first I wasn't feeling real good about it, and then all of a sudden you came running up, and Chiaki, with big, huge smiles, totally greeted us, introduced yourselves, and that was our start, my first Introduction to you, Uh and from there it just grew, and our love of the Kern grew out of that too, Um, and we've always been kind of solo people out on the side, and that was also our first introduction to the clubs, and the club life throughout Southern California and everywhere, and Chiaki, we met him, he ended up being the club president now, and he's a big reason how we got into that whole club life and kind of where we are now. He's a big yeah, part of that. Absolutely. But that was definitely in my first time I met you.
1: You know, the Southern Sierra Fly Fishers have, have uh, really uh, inspired a lot of friendships and people hanging out and going fishing. Definitely. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing. Um, I wanted to ask
2: you guys, uh,
1: um, where
2: did you guys grow up? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, Rob and I both were born in Idaho, and we lived there in the Boise area until I was eight, so Robbie was four. And then we moved to Wyoming real quick, Utah real quick. And when I was 10, we moved down to Southern California in Southern Orange County, Mission Viejo, and then be in San Juan area. And we were there for pretty much our whole lives.
1: So when you guys were little kids, were you guys fishing a lot and, you know, doing all that kind of stuff? Like when you were young, like fishing with uh, spinners and... Stuff like that. Not spinners.
3: When we were yeah. little kids, when we were introduced, um, we lived the Boise River. The Middle Fork of the Boise River goes right through Boise, and we we didn't go there often, but we would go camping upriver um, about two two hours out of town into the backcountry a little bit. And that, ironically, that river is very much like the Kern. It's a free stone river above the reservoirs. It has a lot of the the features that the Kern has. So. You know, our introduction to water was very much um, in a situation that's very similar to the Kern, which is kind of ironic in the long run. So, But we started um, just doing camping trips. We do weekend camping trips going up there. Salmon eggs was the go-to for us mm-hmm. for, yeah. for years and years and years. We'd use, we'd use worms, too, but salmon eggs was the go-to sure. and the key winner for us. Uh, My older brothers would always slay. They would always catch tons of trout.
2: Yeah, that's true. We we were a little older, so we'd catch more. And then one day we looked over, and Robbie was bending to this really big fish, and he was really the first one in our family to catch a big fish. uh Definitely the first one between me and him to catch a big fish. And it has been that way my whole life. He has always caught bigger fish than I have, no matter where we go. It's just the way it is. Just the way it is. Yeah. And then we got a little older. We got out of fishing because we moved down to Southern California, got into sports and all that. But when we got a little older and out on our own, Robbie was out on a um, trip through, was it Sequoia he went to? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he went to Sequoia yeah. and backpacking um
3: no i went and visited my brother up in tahoe took a huh. week vacation went and visited my brother and then on the way back um did a little trip to sequoia national
2: park oh, okay and yeah, had his mountain bike and was cruising around on that yeah stuff. sweet and then he saw a bunch of fish there and he was like why don't i have a rod and it kind of sparked us going back into it uh-huh. and we started fishing lures then for a quite a bit
3: of time ironically that trip that same trip i came home from a week vacation and ryan had gone and picked up ronnie kovac's book uh fishing california yeah so it was kind of a you know i i saw all these fish he picked up the fishing book and we just started going fishing right after that
2: yeah and we got into lures for quite a little bit and then from there we found one of those fly kits where it had One of the original ones where it had the rod, the reel, and everything, scientific angler.
1: Scientific anglers. Yeah, we bought
2: one of those and started going out just flailing away on our own. And from there it grew. And all of a sudden the lures were put away and started giving those away. And the fly addiction grew and grew out
1: of that. And were you guys fishing like the Owens or were you guys going up the Sierra? Oh, we were, man. Where were you guys
3: going? San
2: Gabriel River. San Gabriel got us at first, yeah. Okay. And
1: funny, a, lo- a lot of little creeks
3: in the Sierras that weren't even up into Bishop yet, like Lone Pine Creek,
1: uh-huh.
3: um, which had stocked fish and it. Yeah, and, and Tuttle. And Tuttle Creek, which was yeah. right out of Lone Pine. So we would fish those. That's where we started fishing when, and we were fishing lures, and then we'd kind of transition and we were still fishing there. And then we found some our a couple of buddies of ours actually went up the hill to um Cottonwood Creek and caught some of the first golden trout and they came back told us the story about the golden trout, and then we went up there and caught some golden trout on flies, and yeah you know progressed from there and that was it nope. yeah, done, ruined
1: isn't that crazy? <laughs> <laughs>
3: and how many years ago was that? Let's see that was over 20 now 20 20 plus 23 yeah,
2: savannah was 22 and it was before it's right about when she was born or right before we that. were
3: fly fishing before she was yeah. born yeah so 23 years it's and crazy 24.
1: it's crazy the fly fishing addiction yeah it's amazing
2: and at first i yeah. was we were fishing san gabriel the west fork a lot and i was fishing lures and i brought my fly rod along and both and i'd go out and i'd flail with the fly rod for a minute and then i'd pick up my lures catch fish catch fish catch fish so I finally, we went up, found Horseshoe Meadow up out of Lone Pine, and I took the fly rod only, left the uh, lures at home, Uh and went out to Little Creek with goldens, and it was great. Just throw out, it was like a humpy I was fishing, threw out a humpy, and they just come flying out of nowhere. Must have caught like 50 fish that day, and it just started, and never picked up the lures again.
1: So you guys ended up moving to San Juan Capistrano, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and when was that? When did you guys move there? Hmm. God. Was that like over 20 years ago too?
2: Yeah. Okay. Definitely. Yeah, Robbie was the first one to move there. I was married at the time, lived with Susie and Savannah, and we were in Mission Viejo mainly. Okay. And then Rob was out, and he was the first one to move into the San Juan area. And that had to be like ninety early 90s. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: and I went to
1: San Clemente High School, so, yeah.
3: okay, grew up in that area.
1: So mm-hmm. so being in San Juan, Capistrano, Dana Point's right there. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing fishery, from what I've told by you guys.
2: Took us forever to find that out,
1: unfortunately. Yeah, which is, which is awesome. But I want you to tell uh, the listeners, like, you know, the story of how you guys figured it out and went out there, because... As Vaughn Podmore says, and I say, you guys are nuts for going in your pontoons out there in the ocean. <laughs> but um, I want to hear about that, how you guys figured all that out, you know, with the rods and, you know, just paddling out there with your boats and casting sinking lines or oh, whatever you guys man. were doing.
2: how that all Yeah, it out? took a long time. We always, we started fishing the east side a lot up by Bishop and all that. Our yeah. addiction grew. And then we found out we could fish the surf and the bays. I don't know how we first. I, I think I read an article in on one of the old uh,
3: free fly fishing magazines. I can't even remember the name. Do you remember the name of that?
2: Like Flyfish California. Oh, Flyfish America. Flyfish fly America. America. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah,
3: So in one of those was an article by the uh, guy that owns the shop, his and hers.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, Frank mm-hmm. Selby. Yeah.
3: yeah. So he had an article um, about float tubing. And taking a couple guys down to Dana Point Harbor and they were catching yellowfin croaker yep. and halibut and, and you know, all kinds of species. And we're like, we, it was kind of, I think it was at the time of the gas crisis and we didn't have as much cash to right. run up to the Sierras as much as we would like. So right. we're like, let's, let's make the best of it and start fishing Dana Point. So we started fishing the harbor, took out our little float tubes, pontoon boats, and, and started catching all the yellowfin croaker, halibut and it went on and on. And.
2: It was right at the time, too, where we were fishing Crowley a bit from our pontoons and Uh the float tubes. So we just transferred them down there, and it was the same, sitting inside the harbor. Mm -hmm. And instead of sitting there um, with your indicator out, like on Crowley, we were just trolling. And we just cast out a line. we got six to eight weight rods, um, 250 grain sinking tip lines. And we just cast out Klauser minnows and troll backwards, kicking our fins. And bass would just come out of nowhere. Croakers, all kinds of species.
1: And so, in the, on at Dana Point, you have that break wall. Yeah, if I remember. And then all the the marina with all, and then on the inside, it's yeah. real calm. Correct. And if you go around that point and go out on the outside, yeah. would you guys fish the
3: outside of that? For so many years, we only fish the inside because the outside's kind of gnarly. When the swells get up, it's kind yeah. of sketchy out there. So for so many years, we fish the inside. Caught. You know, dozens of probably over thirty species just yeah. on the inside alone. You
1: caught a salmon, did you?
3: Uh, Coho salmon, yeah. unbelievable. So I would also yeah. anchor up. Ryan, we would troll around, but I would I had a, a larger pontoon boat, and it was kind of harder for me to kick around in. Uh, so I would often anchor up inside the harbor, and I anchor up right next to the uh, um, bait barge. To the bait barge and oh, okay. and just cast right there and retrieve. and one morning I whacked into this fish and it started leaping out of the water it took like four or five jumps ripping line out and it ended up being a coho salmon
2: and i didn't see it i came kicking around the bait barge a few minutes later and he's holding it getting ready to release it and i'm like what the hell is that <laughs> he's like i don't know might be a steel here we're not sure <laughs> and likely he took pictures and he could tell from the black jaw yeah that it was a coho and mm-hmm. the fin was clipped we looked it up it's from the Columbia River drainage up by Washington and Oregon, the border there. Amazing. It's all the way down, you know. And there's a few caught every once in a while that And it was in Dana Point Harbor. It was yeah. Crazy. Did you guys get any striper in that zone at oh all? Man, that? there is at times, but we yeah. personally have I've never caught, caught a striper. But always there is each yeah. year.
1: Yeah, I've heard that too. And
2: there. we are at one of the a few years later. We're at one of the Bishop fairs, and we're doing the tying stuff. And we're at the dinner with Gary Bula. He was at yeah. our table. And telling him for Dana and all that and how he fished, he goes, What's the coolest thing you ever caught out of there? And so I tell him, Robbie caught a coho. And he goes, Oh, was that 97? He goes, There's a couple caught up and down. So he knew exactly that pinpointed run. Pinpointed the exact year that really? that, yeah. that run was happening. He goes, A few were caught in different spots up and down the coast. What a trip. And Robbie happened to be <clears throat> one sitting in his pontoon boat fly fishing in the harbor. In the harbor. In the harbor. Yeah. Yeah. And so years we took fish just in the harbor. Each time we tried to go out, the swell would be big because Dana's known in the old days for that huge surf. Yeah. They put up the break wall and now that surf pounds that wall. So you had to pick your moments. We'd always go out and just be too rough right or, away. Or we would go out
3: in the softer zone, just straight out from the harbor, yep. and there wouldn't be a major swell or pitch, and we would kind of go for halibut and, and target halibut on that area.
2: and slowly started working our confidence up, and then we made the turn and started fishing down the break wall. Then what we happened? found there's just amazing <laughs> calico bass fishing there. Next thing you know, we're going out at 4 in the morning to get the – Early morning, dark bite before the light comes up, Mm -hmm. and people are going, you guys are crazy going out there Mm -hmm. and paddling around, got your feet hanging in the water, kicking at times, sometimes you're paddling, but it was amazing, we'd be the only ones out there and catching, you know, three to five pound calicos, Mm -hmm. and a bunch of little guys too, it was just phenomenal, three miles from the house unbelievable yeah
1: and what what flies would you guys use when you were fishing that breakwall wall for the calicos like what did you finally develop a fly or flies for that or did you all
3: kinds of different yeah. stuff we'd yeah. use
1: small little shrimp kind of imitations ryan's got a
3: couple shrimp patterns that we use there that will work real well um and we've inside the harbor we were using um kind of thing the skin thing i called like a brown bait it was um, a deceiver style fly and was catching some nice white sea bass on it that were just, just under legal. legals 28 inches, so, yeah. you know, 24, 25-inch white sea bass, pretty cool. And a
2: bunch of halibut, too, he'd catch, and it was a kind of a brownish hackle Robbie would get, and then he would put a little deceiver body on the front, and it just started... Grabbing fish after fish. It was great. And, and was that play weighted? It was with Klauser style, yeah, okay, so okay.
3: Klauser, like a half and half. So it had Klauser eyes, deceiver body on it. Mm-hmm. And then that morphed when the I finally got sick into the game changer stuff. It finally morphed into a game changer style. Yeah. And, and, and then into a kind of a scoping game changer and that, and that's caught a lot of really big fish out there
1: okay
2: yeah robbie got really into those game changers and he went out and it started with the darker colors and now he fishes these white ones everywhere
3: uh-huh and
2: if, oh my gosh they just crush out on that just, wall just a best. straight
3: straight white small one imitating a small anchovy yeah. or those bigger sculpin style um darker ones are, are that pretty, pretty hard to beat
1: that fly is incredible yeah catches yeah. so many different species you know, small mouth on the,
2: exactly. on the lower current and, as
1: we found out.
3: Yeah,
2: largemouth too up at the bass mouth. ranch. And, you bet. Yeah. Um
1: so uh, one of the things that uh impresses me and it's very recent is that you guys have recently taken this jump or this leap into a, a whole new uh business and um by joining the fly shop and guiding for the shop and and um you know, uh, being instructors in the school and that sort of thing. Um, and you guys are, are not only guiding on the Kern, but you're also guiding on the Owens now and Lake Crawley, um, which has been amazing. Um, but what I want to ask you guys, because I've done it too, is um, <laughs> taking that jump, it, when, when many people would not do that, you know, they won't take that jump or they're too scared to take that jump right. to go into another business or move. And you guys... Actually moved from your your town of uh, San Juan Capistrano and came up here to population uh, three thousand, yeah. and have just dived into you know uh, creating a really cool niche for you guys here and at the fly shop for sure. And so I want to ask you guys, you know, what was that like for you guys coming up here where you knew me, yeah, <laughs> That's true, and sure. um, you know maybe a couple other people. Yeah, you know, so what, what was it that was, like for you? It was guys? a
2: big step when moving here. For one, just coming into the town, we'd been up here for so many years fishing and getting to know everyone. We were welcomed because we knew so many people already. So that was really nice. But what people don't know about, a lot of people don't know, is we had spent over thirty years. Rob and I both work in making porcelain nightlights at a company called the Porcelain Garden. It was a gift item. So when the economy was great, it was really great. 2007 2008 economy crashed and it started going down there was like up to 15 to 20 employees came down to four and from that point on it was really a struggle to make a living also right at that point our fishing addiction and fly fishing started and got greater and greater and started leading us up to here and and when do you buy the house down there
3: Um, Almost 10 years ago, you know, eight years
2: ago. So at that point, we were thinking of moving up here, too. But Mm -hmm. my daughter Savannah was still in high school, and we didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So we waited, and then it got to the point last year where it actually started when our friend Celine passed away because she was such a prominent role in the fly shop. We weren't sure we wanted to come up here, but we weren't sure if there was room for us. And then her unfortunate passing... Out of some of those terrible things in life, other doors open. And that was one of them. All of a sudden, this door opened for us. Mm -hmm. And we started talking about it. And our job down there was getting harder and harder to get a consistent paycheck. Was just getting, you know, just being a pain in the ass going to work each day. We kind of were dreading it. (laughs) And where before it wasn't, we liked it. And the draw up here was getting more and more. We started working with you more and more, doing the shows, helping out. And at the Long Beach uh, Fred Hall show last yeah. year, at the beginning of March, we had made the decision. We wanted to talk to you yeah, and see if we could guide up here and move up here. And when we talked to you, um, both of us, all three of us were excited about this new adventure we agreed upon. Yep. And literally the next week, <laughs> COVID hits, all the shows shut down um your next show got shut down in Bakersfield our work at the porcelain garden our boss we were living off doing wholesale or retail shows around the country all his shows just got shut down too yeah so we were crumbling there and we weren't sure about here all of a sudden we'd made this agreement we'd already told our boss we were going to move up here and quit and all of a sudden COVID hit and it just was like this big door in our face we're like holy crap what are we going to do and you talked about making the jump Mm -hmm. and one of my favorite authors joseph campbell calls it following your bliss and answering your calling Mm -hmm. and at that point we both decided we're committed we're doing this no matter what and the great thing about it was your support from your end wanting us to come up here made us feel really wanted and we were just super eager to get up here but the whole covid thing put a halt on Robbie put his house up on the market and it slowed that mm-hmm. so it took us a while to make that transition we knew we wanted to but then we were stuck down there not working there not coming up here yet So we were trying to sell the house and it was like three or four months we waited huh yeah yeah. and we weren't sure what was going on but we'd made the commitment and we were all in we just had to sell the house and then all of a sudden one day you called or sent a little text going we got a rental house for you guys <laughs> And it's just like one of those things, and Joseph Campbell talks about when you really fall in your bliss, you answer your calling, roadblocks come up, but then all of a sudden, helpers come to help you out. Mm-hmm. And solutions come if you really try and keep going for your true calling. And this adventure, we'd had many of those, both of us personally and together. It's amazing. But each time, because it was meant to be, help came, and it was like that. When you got Merle to rent us the house, we yeah. decided to come up. Mm-hmm. and. When we first put the house on the market, a lady lowballed us, and we denied her right away. So we came up here. We're stressing about that, moved in, um, started working the shop. And all of a sudden, Rob gets the call, and that same lady came back and paid full asking price. Bam. And it's just one of those amazing things. Everything worked out great. And here we are sitting in Kernville after working for 30-plus years at a job down there, doing the same thing every day. Covid hits, the whole country's kind of tossed up in the air, and then all of a sudden here we are sitting in Kerrville a couple of months later with a new career, a new path in life, and it was just a whirlwind. It was unbelievable. It's, it's almost though like
3: it didn't happen that quick because it's almost been like a ten year progression.
1: Yeah, from that's when, true too.
3: From when we were first asked to do um, a, a presentation for Southern Sierra Fly Fishing Club almost ten years ago now. -hmm. So we started doing that. And then right after that, there was a a president of one of the other clubs that asked us to do a presentation at their club. And that kind of snowballed. We were doing presentations all at the clubs all over Southern California. At each of these presentations, we were being asked if we could guide, where do we guide, who do we guide for. Yeah. So, and then at all the club outings, we would kind of guide our not only. club members but then we would go on outings with our friends and kind of guide them guide friends that were new to fly fishing guide in savannah our whole life so mm-hmm. it's not like the the whole guiding thing and the whole fly fishing thing is like a new thing to us it's something that we've been doing for 10 years if not more but it, as as almost the on the guide level or you know that presentation level and helping level and helping people get into fly fishing that it's it's been a journey that's started long before this year, sure. for sure.
1: What so what what advice would you guys give to somebody who is kind of on the edge of taking that leap and wanting to do what their calling is? I think everybody has a calling to do something. Yeah. And you guys are obviously doing it. Yeah. Um and so is there is there some kind of advice that you guys could give to somebody who's like thinking about you know, changing careers or, or doing something different
2: than what they're doing now. Wow, that's a tough one because it's yeah. all of us have that different point where we get to where we want to make a move or don't. And sometimes that calling is forced upon us. Um, one of the examples is like when war comes and you get drafted, you're forced into this new life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we make that choice. Sometimes we're forced into it. But it comes down to that individual, that inner intuition. You got to trust that inner, that inner calling.
3: And everybody has a different drive. Some for people sure. are driven by um, finances. Yeah, Some people yeah. are driven by other goals and other, mm-hmm. you know, things that fulfill them. So, yeah, it's, it's hard for someone to leave a, a good financially paying job for what they think might be more fulfilling. You know, sure, so, sure, yeah. Know, it is a it's a personal it goal or a the, personal,
2: uh, sure, personal I, journey unfortunately right now that that money is a lot of people's reason for moving on to something different and sometimes it's great but it's not always the proper choice sometimes there's more to it than that rob and i moving up here we've always wanted to live up here and so there's more to us coming up here than just the ability to make money more than we were down there but it's the new lifestyle and sometimes that can override any kind of money and that's all a personal choice, but you got to yeah. look inside and trust that inner voice inside you.
3: And, and life's short, so there are no second chances. You can't yeah, turn back. So. That is true. Um, We're all you,
2: getting older, huh? You, gotta, <laughs> if you got a
3: chance to go for it, go for it. So yeah. when, you,
1: when you guys are working out there, um, guiding, do you feel like you're working?
2: No, not at all. It's that, amazing. That, and Rob yeah. and I, we our bedrooms are right across from each other in our little tiny desk. Yeah. <laughs> we turn around and look at each other, and we go, I can't believe I got paid to stand in the water today, it, hang out with some really cool people, yeah. and it's just been amazing. Yeah,
3: It's oh, yeah. so rare that I get stressed. I've I've driven up the river a couple times with clients, and fishing's been slow, so I'm, I'm wondering where I'm going to take them. Um, mm-hmm. What's the day going to be like? I got four guys. I got to deal with them all day. You know, how yeah. are they? How are they Yeah, and be you like? care.
2: You want to give them such a so, great day. So
3: I'll be driving upriver a little bit stressed, and then the sun's hitting the mountains. Uh, I look down at the river, and dude, I'm like, "Sure, oh, man, dude, come on, relax. Yeah. You're going to be fishing with these guys all day. Yeah. Okay. And in- inevitably, everybody turns out to be super cool. 95 to 98% <laughs> of the time, we're getting into fish, and yeah, everybody yeah. gets fish, and yeah, it's a super sure. fun day. So, yeah. you know, it, my stress is just, it's unnecessary. And yeah. then I look at where I'm at and I'm just like, oh, this is it's pretty cool. Well,
1: that's a sign, I think, of of good guides is, um, you know, maybe a little bit of tension, a little bit of stress, you know, because yeah. you want to do good. You want to do good for your clients. You care. And uh, you care about oh. it. And one of the things that uh, I think is another good sign of, of guides um, is uh, getting repeat clients, and you guys just since you started in July, yep. have had multiple, quadruple, quintuple, or whatever it is, it is. bookings from since July with clients, um, which is uh, you know which says a lot about you guys and how good of a job you guys are doing out there for sure. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, man, you guys are rocking it. And so that's,
2: we do care. We want to give everyone the best time, the best experience. Yeah. A lot of people only have that one trip a year. Yeah. or they get away and. Come up here, and we want to give them that you know wilderness experience and some fish, and then also someone who's fun to hang out with, and and they're going to have a great day and want to come back.
3: We truly dig fly fishing, and we want to share that with other people. So we call it sharing the stoke. You know, we want to share our passion with other people and kind of you know pass that along. Absolutely,
1: I think that's that goes along. You guys like you know fit with the with the Kern River Fly Shop because that's kind of. Been the motto for the shop too—is yeah. is performing and uh, doing a good job and making feel people feel comfortable. Yeah, you know the fly shop.
2: And now, as these first you know months we've been up here, it's like we not only did we want to completely please all our clients, but we wanted to uphold what the Kern River Fly Shop stands Thanks, for, man. Yeah, and we sure. wanted to please you. And the shop is not just your average shop; it's a Lee Wolfer winning shop. And know, on the board for one of the best shops in the country, and we were just so proud to work here. Thanks, man. but totally also we didn't want to we didn't want to let that reputation down. We wanted to build on it, and well, unfortunately, it has so far.
1: And we're we're
2: rocking it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay,
1: so let's let's talk uh, fly tying for a second, since oh, man. you guys, um, you know, to me are you know some of the best fly tires I've ever seen. Um, I fish your guys' flies. Honored no. to fish your flies. You guys give me your flies. From time yeah. to time. And um, I'm going to tell a couple stories about both of you. Okay. Um, uh, Rob's rat. <laughs> <laughs> so um, Rob gives me a, a rat that is um, black deer hair. Yep. Segmented body. Uh, I don't know, three three segments? Yeah, it's or three parts. Se- how, how big is that thing? Is that like it's eight five, inches? five five to, five, to six, six okay, inches. five to six inches. Big old whiskers. Yeah, so it's a, it's a rat.
3: And it's got the Flyman Fish Cove mm. popper heads on it to help it flow.
1: Yeah. So um, I am over at uh, um, Ming Lake in Bakersfield, and I'm fishing over there, and I'm, I fish all the way around the whole entire lake and um, I, I didn't get one bite, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to throw this rat on. <laughs> and so I upped the tippet, man, just because I didn't want to lose it, because those things are like 25 bucks. They are.
2: Man, yeah, they're they just the, just the one fly, right? Yep. Yeah.
1: So I put that thing on there. I think I put OX or something like that, because I wasn't going to lose that sucker. Yep. And first cast, I threw it out there by, you know, just up, not upstream, but up to the right of one of the docks. And um, this fish came out and just nailed that thing, and then I let her go, okay. and then walked up a little bit further down the down the bank and caught another one with the same fly. Was nice. anybody
3: else fishing out there with you?
1: No, yeah. <laughs> and um, and well, there was a couple of uh, like uh, bait guys off in there. What is? What are you using? <laughs> you know, of course, a typical thing. Yeah. Okay, so then um, I got you know you've always given me these deer here oh yeah uh flies you're the Utah. only one that go fish them yeah
2: everyone thinks they're too pretty to
1: fish and yeah fish them though so i fish them i i don't know how many i've gotten over the years but um i put i was fishing the lower kern floating the lower kern for a largemouth. and um i was i was throwing topwater and i was throwing one of your flies a big purple and white frog mm-hmm. and um i hooked the biggest bass i think i've ever hooked yeah um, in the lower kern and it came off but it was pretty awesome but um i love fishing your guys' flies so how did you get into um spinning deer hair and and that sort of thing
2: Man, the fly tying started right away um both rob and i we've always been kind of creative you know the ceramics and all that and we thought it'd be the coolest thing to catch a fish on something we made so the tying just drew us right in and then when, once we started, um, it just took over our creative side, and we thought we were going to save some money right away too. That's the truth too. <laughs> and yeah. Now, yeah, right? if you, <laughs> literally, if you guys come to Rob's room, he has more stuff than most fly shops in the country, oh, and I it. it is just packed with materials for you know thousands and thousands. I'm sure it's all organized and everything. too. Oh yeah, of course not. <laughs> But right away, we got addicted to it, and it just led one to the other. The next thing you know, it was all trout flies, and then we started time for the ocean, and then that led me to, um, who was that book with, uh, it was the Baja book you had. He does also, had you had a book of him on the east side too, and it was Jay, um, had the deer hair flying there.
1: Oh, Jay, from, from, from uh, Fresno? Yeah. Jay, Jay Murakashi. Yeah, Jay Murakashi.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I saw one of his flies in a book Rob had on Baja. Mm-hmm. And it just had these. Oh, Ken Hanley? Ken Hanley, oh, thank yeah. you. Okay. So it was Ken Hanley's book about Baja, and he had one of Jay's flies in it. And it had yellow with black deer hair barred in it. And I'm like, how the heck do they do that? And so I started tying the deer hair, just trying to figure out how he did that patterning. And it took me a while to figure it out, and how do they did it, stack it, and get the colors. And from there, my obsession grew and grew, and I just love tying those deer hair flies. And no one will fish them. They work so well for bass, (laughs) I'll give (laughs) you them too. And everyone thinks they're so cool-looking, they don't want to fish them. How long does it take you to make one of those? Okay, usually about an hour. It takes about... 20 minutes to tie it, and then the rest of the time is trimming it with that razor blade, uh-huh. getting it down. You can tie it real quick and trim it real quick and have it look, you know, all right, but you can get real obsessive about it in the trimming part and get really neat and trim them real nice. And that's what I like to do. And it takes about an hour. So, in that rat, how long does that take you?
3: It takes an hour as
2: well. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, those mm-hmm. ones are, it's kind of the artistic side of making it all. But also, they're ones that catch fish really well, too. That's what we like tying.
1: So um, you guys are now um, professional fly tires where people actually order flies from you guys. Correct. And I don't know how many patterns of you guys. Do I I have like 75 different patterns of
2: yours in the shop now? Over 60. Yeah. Oh, okay. 60, A lot of them, yeah. Yeah. Something like that. And it started, we just tied for ourselves. And then we'd start giving them away to friends. And people would see on the river a lot. Trying to help them out, get into fish. And we always, yeah. it's one thing we've always loved just to help people get into fish. And I think that's obviously helped our guiding too, because that's really what we like to do. But we started that and people started asking to buy. We'd be like, no, here, just have some, have some. Mm-hmm. And then finally, after doing the club circuit so much, it got such a demand and we needed more gas money to go fishing. So we started selling flies and became the Bueller Brothers flies Yeah. and Bueller Bros flies. So if you guys could use one fly
1: mm. in the Sierra, what would be your your go-to fly? Go ahead, Robbie. What do you think, Robbie? The Blue Blood. Yeah,
3: potentially, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's definitely one of the top three that and I so would consider. The Blue Blood is
1: your design? Right? Yeah.
3: Yeah, okay. It's just a variation off of um, Mickey
2: Barron's Albino Barron.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, A couple little
1: changes.
2: You know, everywhere in the Sierras, there's just tons of midges. So any midge pattern would be good. But for some reason, this blue blood that Robbie has, I have seen it. I've sat next to him in Crowley Uh with other patterns and just been outfished over and over. (laughs) And then I finally give me one of those and I just start (laughs) catching up. But I've seen it all throughout the Sierras and it's definitely become one of my top flies. I'd love to use one of my go-to patterns. Mm -hmm. And it would definitely be in the top three. And along with a just simple clouser minnow. Okay. I think. The you only
3: know. reason I hesitate is sometimes they just don't eat it. On some days, they're just not yeah. eating it. So,
1: you know, it's not one of those flies
3: mm-hmm. that always, always works. Yeah. But when they're eating it, they can't stay they away crush from it. it. Yeah. So if yeah.
1: there was a one-fly fly fishing tournament on the current on the current which fly would you guys use wow
2: on the current what time of year yeah, that? right <laughs> let's say october <laughs> okay thank you that helps because <laughs> 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 always you know people think the most you know the, and it is the most efficient way to get uh, in is nymphing but certain times of year they can come up and
1: hit those uh well october is kind of a got the dry fly stuff going yeah too, so. and it
2: can be fun but also streamers i've seen robbie just Catch so many fish out here on a small Sierra Clauser that he created, mm-hmm. and it looks like little all the little fry we have in the water. We got so many fish in here. Let's see what we got. We got the Kern River Rainbow stocked, um, but the stock don't reproduce. So we got the Kern Rivers, the Browns, carp, pike minnow, sucker fish, and catfish. All their babies are in the water, and his little pattern just mimics those so well. I think that might be the one in purple. Okay. That I would do in and, purple. And then yeah. just
3: based off kind of last year's guiding in the fall, the the Frenchie, one of the oh, Frenchies, either the pink you. or the peacock were hot. A Frenchie and then, was good year round,
1: that peacock. Yeah. And
3: the coffee oh, cup stone.
1: Yeah. Was hot too. So you know when the fish are coming up from uh, Lake Isabella, you know that magical time. Yep. Would you guys I know you guys fish streamers during Correct. that time yep. frame, right? Yeah. And what is it the purple clouser? still oh, I, or I, did you guys you, no you
3: guys... the last time that happened they were crushing shad you could see him actually yep. pushing shad out of the water blowing up little bait balls yeah. just like saltwater stuff so i was swinging those little three inch game changers were you money uh, money money right all on. day long yeah right the white on, ones
2: we used to always go big on our streamers and fishing in dana we learned the anchovies and they called them uh two eyes and a wiggle huh? and it would just be so small just like too little A like Klauser eye, and it's barely any material and robbie started going small in all his patterns and He did that out there with the shad because they're similar colors and just started killing it.
1: You know, for uh, people that don't know out there, we have a really cool phenomenon that goes on every year when the water finally kind of comes down on the upper kern. Um, The river just kind of comes alive down towards the mouth area where it runs into Lake Isabella and these big fish move into the river and it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, was it's 2 really years, amazing.
2: 2 years ago when we had the high snow runoff. Yeah. It lasted so long and that was yeah. just magical down there. It was magical. Uh-huh. Yeah. It really was.
1: And then coming in with them, uh, we've we've seen some uh uh Chinook salmon coming in with them little guys, but they stock those in Lake Isabella and I believe I just talked to the guy the other day, I guess they're going to do it again this year. Oh, nice. Yeah, you know, they just stock them little guys. Yeah. You know, and then they grow up to I know 18 inches is the biggest Whoa. I've seen, you know, coming yeah. in, come in cool there. Cool bycatch.
2: Yeah. Where, where do they, you know, where they stock them? That'd be interesting to see what the bass do when those little guys well, come
1: in. <laughs> field day, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, so the other cool thing, um, have you guys done much of the carp stuff in Isabella yet? Or
2: I have not, a, yeah. just once or twice, but Rob's yeah. done a little more yeah, than I have.
3: I've done some carping yeah. at Isabella. It's a lot of fun. It's, it's, a, it's crazy in the springtime. Yeah, you know, most um, of my
2: carpens has been down south in the canals by us, you know, oh, down yeah. in Orange County and stuff. You
3: know. So I, I like doing it early on when there's just a couple fish pushing up, and then it gets kind of nutty when they start spawning, and it's not so fun for me when they're spawning. Yeah. But then after the spawn, it's fun again because a lot of the fish move away, and then there's more single fish to kind of target, stock out, stock out. It's it's not
1: crazy, yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So let's talk. Let's talk uh, lower Kern for a second. Oh man. So I, uh, I think it was it last fall. No, was it summertime? I can't remember when we all we all three of us were done.
3: Summer, late summer, fall time. Yeah.
1: So um, I said, hey, you guys, let's go float the the lower Kern and and uh, and we. Put our our boats in, and uh, we floated the lower Kern, and we went down the river like an army. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> it was and a lot of fun. I was on one side. Rob was in the middle. Ryan was on the other and side. It was
2: and something I'd never done. You know, we got yeah. our pontoons are always on lakes yeah. or out in the harbors. I never yeah. like floated a river like that. It was awesome. That's it was my really favorite. Interesting. Yeah.
1: And uh, was it the first time where we were just lighting it up, and you were? Uh, Rob was really lighting it up. It right, up right. Yeah. Right in the, yeah, right yeah, in the middle little, of the of the good. river. Yeah. yeah. Remember that? It was hot. Yeah, then, those
2: smallmouth were all in the middle, stacked up in the right where the drop offs happened in the runs there.
1: So what I'm told is that the smallmouth were, were put in the lower current in the nineteen forties and they've had a, a, a self sustaining population down there, you know, which is cool. kinda cool. Yeah. Um but let's talk let's talk a little bit about smallmouth technique and oh man and uh what you guys were doing. And um we, we'll start with you rob like i, I just you know. took a lot of my streamer
3: trout techniques and applied mm-hmm. that to the to the water we were fishing because i've i've haven't fished a lot for smallmouth i've caught some here and there i've fished a little bit back east and caught a few there in the delaware river um but just mostly applied just my trout techniques they had a sinking tip line mm-hmm. uh, those game changers and was swinging it off of drop-offs and shelves and Fish were stacked up at, at the edges of those shelves and drop offs, and uh, it, was it was pretty productive. Yeah.
1: yeah, that was fun. And they don't down there; they don't get too big, but they sure do fight pretty hard. Oh, yeah. super Chew, aggressive! Yeah, yeah. yeah. My yeah. first
2: one was little, and I thought it was bigger than it was.
1: <laughs> and then, um, and then, uh, Robbie started making uh, this fly called the Smalley Snack, or what? That's oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome! No, oh yeah, remember that?
3: Maybe some of those we weren't swinging. were not swinging were were not game changers because we were using little sculpin helmets from uh, Flyman Fish Co. and little rabbit tails. Yep. So yeah. So basically, little sculping bunnies, but just dressed up a little bit, and, and they, they were rocking. they turned into the Smalley snacks for sure. Yeah,
2: we went down there. You told this guy always told us that uh, he likes real heavy jig head. He tosses it out, and his technique kind of tosses into the bushes and jigs it back, really kind of. That's right, that and first little, trip was with little, those. like, first strips, like, real, not too far away, and it sinks real fast, and then he jerks it up, and then it sinks, jerks it, sinks. Just yep. jigging motion. Jigging motion. So we were, tied our flies to do that, and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden we were in that drop-off, faster yeah. water. Yeah. And it was doing that, but we were achieving just a little faster, and they started hitting in those areas also, which was so, interesting.
1: So, yeah, so what was interesting, that same zone, like I was telling you guys this before, is it, that um that whole area was almost void of all smallmouth and i think that's all we caught wasn't it
2: yeah i didn't catch any yeah, large i,
1: I think i all. caught one large mouth but it was full of large mouth all the way down and you catch a smallie every once in a while
2: yeah and that's and then you then, always told us that yeah and then we went down there and we were just hitting all yeah, smallmouth somewhere. and and
1: um and then you guys were fishing water that i normally wouldn't fish so that was really cool yeah. to explore that and go, yeah. Oh shoot, they're right in the middle of the river. That <laughs> <laughs> yeah, was fun. So that was really cool. I mean the the whole thing with uh you know, fishing uh, smallmouth on the lower current, that's like this whole area, that's my favorite. Yeah. You know, I love guiding trout and
2: yeah.
1: other species and stuff, but fishing wise I love fishing for those
2: smallmouth and the okay. largemouth and the lower for sure. That's been kind of our new addiction the last two years is the bass. We always did the ocean and that's what led us to the freshwater, because uh-huh. we knew how great they were, and then we went to the Bass Ranch, started catching some largemouth, and then you're turning us on to these smallmouth, and it's it's so, a whole new world. It's so, great.
1: So, like, um, I, you know, I enjoy fishing with you guys, yeah. you know, and so um, we all went to the Kelsey Bass Ranch, but I never saw you. <laughs> 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 these dudes these dudes would get up at, like before light and they would be on the water and then they wouldn't come back until it was dark. Oh, man. And then they would go to sleep right after that, you know, and then yeah. they do the same thing the next day. So Then
3: we also know people people cling on you all day long so we're like, hey, this dude just needs to go fish on his own every yeah, once in a while. Yeah,
2: right. yeah exactly. So we kind of yeah. leave him alone, he got a little away yeah. from himself for a while.
1: Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I found on uh, Kelsey Bass Ranch, um, your flies, your your deer hair yep. poppers worked really good. And then also uh, Dave Whitlock's, um, it's a, I think it's called a swimming frog. Yeah. And it has a little white pattern to it. You Correct. Know, white deer hair or yep. something like that. It is. And that one rocked there too, man, for and me. And it was
2: um, like ones that had like the little red in them. Especially. Yeah. He did real well that one year. You, what did you guys use over there? Um, the first year, it was the same thing, like deer hair frog. Uh-huh. Game changers were whack in the first year for yeah. me. We oh, we yeah? Out, yeah. And it was funny. What the color? Morning,
3: Just straight white. Yeah, yeah,
2: we didn't know where to go, so we launched early, and a boat was going across the lake, and Robbie followed it all the way to the other side because you know it's fairly small. We're in our pontoons, and we set up over there, and I cast out first cast, just let it sit there, and all the bass shows we saw. They always say just cast and let it sit there, let it sit there, let it sit there. So I'm looking around the beautiful rolling hills, going, "This is really cool on the west side." It's way cool, and then all of a sudden, a fish just explodes on my fly. Top water, and I'm like, I was like, pause and froze, going, that's my fly, holy crap. I set the hook, there he was. Pull him up, he's like a nice two, three pounder.
3: Yeah, beautiful fish.
2: Looking down his mouth, you can see my deer hair fly stuck down his throat, it was just awesome, and pulled it out, so that year, it was almost all top water. And fish were super aggressive. They were hitting Robbie's clousers underneath my top water, the next year we went, we go out right in the morning i got one grab on the top water got a fish we're like, yeah here it goes and it just like was slow and there's fish boiling everywhere pushing minnows around we couldn't figure out what was going on and then we started hanging from the poppers uh balance leech below to try and mimic some of those bait fish in the water and at first we were doing all kinds of colors we couldn't find the right color and then i put on an olive a darker olive with a black bead and. I don't know what that color did. That bead color—that was the rock star. That was the one, and it just started going under. Boom, boom, boom. It was great. It took and a long time to figure it out. It though. did. <laughs> it did. And we were throwing all our normal stuff for a day, day and a half. You know, nothing was working. That was uh, we we went there
1: in April, right? Yeah. It was usually April. Yep. Yeah, and then to my surprise, you guys started doing over by the dam weren't you guys doing oh, like Crawley lake kind of style true. and the, you, and the you first found found trout, trout the, first, yeah. the first
3: year <laughs> yeah. we we're, were fishing like like i said we went out super early so we that's kind of our mo we hit out you know before sunrise and we fish pretty hard all day and since it was our first time at the lake we wanted to make the best of it and who wants to go back and sit on shore when you can fish so we took our pontoon boats went over by the uh, dam we were fishing over there for a little bit but we weren't catching any bass so set up anchors and threw out standard little stillwater water and rig with a, a leech on the bottom eating lunch watching our bobber next thing you know bobber's going down we're catching bass and
1: trout yeah that was great It was pretty sick i just saw on uh i think it was youtube that they have a big hatchery truck pulled up at kelsey bass ranch and dumped a bunch of trout i'm Ooh, sure they didn't survive that long no, <laughs> no they get mowed pretty quick yeah am sure <laughs> they, had, right?
2: they had to go a frenzy those bass right yeah. then yeah
1: so one of the last things i want to talk to you guys about is music okay. and you know um i know you guys are big music lovers and Always. concert goers and yeah and whatnot um and what a what a bummer this last year has been, not being able to see live music. Oh, my God.
2: It's so hard for people. Yeah. It's the one, you know, it's very few things in our life can affect us like that. And one of them's getting out in nature, whether you're fishing or hiking or whatever, but seeing live music's the other. Yeah. And where you can go for however long that concert is. And you will not think of anything outside of that being in the moment right then. So so important. It is. And we need that more now, obviously, because of our situation and things are going on right now. But that's the one thing that's really been missed. And music's been a big part of Rob and I's life our whole life. Yeah. Her mom has always played music, always had music going. Um, We've always loved music and always have loved seeing live music ever since we got old enough to go out on our own. So,
1: what were the albums that your mom would listen to when you guys were younger? Like, um, was it jazz? All,
3: all kinds of. Well, I think my dad was more into the jazz stuff. Uh, we had some Duke Ellington, uh, Dizzy Gillespie, some Brubeck uh, time Dave out. Brubeck with Clark Terry. Yeah uh stuff like that
1: um, and he was just playing that and you guys would be chilling and
3: uh, i i don't remember you know. a ton of that when i was a kid but we had those records and i know i heard them but the stuff yeah. i do remember my mom playing was mac davis yeah. uh willie nelson the country miller. stuff, roger miller all yeah, the time king of the road king of the road yeah. eight track rocking yeah. all the time <laughs> if she was cleaning house on the weekends it was barbara streisand a lot of times so yeah. totally just exposed to all kinds of different music ray charles
2: and then we had all our pop music from the radio and all our rock at the time period, you know, the early 70s. And we mid-70s. have a brother that's three years older than Ryan, so we were influenced by
3: him as well and, yeah. and his music tastes. What, what did he like? Oh, early man. Early on, he liked some Elton John, you know, yeah. and uh, sure. Led Zeppelin. Yeah, Zeppelin oh, yeah, was big. Yeah.
2: Aerosmith was yeah. big for him. And then the Almond Brothers was kind of his band for a long time.
1: I can remember when I was a kid. This is we're talking seventies yeah. with you guys Zach, as yeah. well, right? Yeah. So I remember we had this this record store called Jailhouse Records. Yeah. And in Ventura, and you could actually go and like. Grab the album. We and
3: rode the so t- <laughs> Tower Records was in El Toro. It was maybe eight to ten so cool. miles from our house, and we'd ride our bikes to El Toro, to Tower Records in yeah. El Toro and just it was, to do the same thing, yeah, just yeah. to thumb through the records. you'd
2: thumb through, and sometimes you'd be looking for something, and other times um, you'd be like, whoa, what's that? And just the yeah. album cover so, or something would draw you in. So many times
3: it. we'd come home with yeah. music that we didn't go there to buy, yeah. and that's what was so cool about record stores back in the day. Cause you, yeah. you would get stuff that you didn't intend to purchase uh-huh. and come across all kinds of different stuff.
1: Did you guys have um, like record player, stereotype uh, things always. in the rooms from yeah.
2: when I was like five <laughs> years old? Had one in my room. Yeah, we all each had our own all the time. Always one out front. You know, uh-huh. something was always being played.
3: Kiss was my first album. Kiss Destroyer. Bought that when I was like five, six years old. Yeah. Luckily, I went in from the Kiss Army pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, <Exactly>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember Kiss.
1: <laughs> I remember when when I, I think I was like ten years old and I went over to my buddy's house and he um he's all you guys gotta listen to this album but you're gonna listen to it in the dark. Oh yeah. And it was Led Zeppelin Houses of the Holy. Nice. In the dark. Yeah. And it was amazing. I remember yeah. just laying on the bed just like, oh my God, you're <laughs> <laughs> unbelievable. You know that stuff? I mean you don't yeah. really
2: do that, you know? Yeah, it's kinda of lost and that's yeah. the great thing about the records or you yeah. know that kind of stuff. And yeah, it, it's cool.
1: Yeah. So. Um and so then you guys kind of progressed to go and seeing live shows and stuff oh, and, then, yeah. and then what did you guys like end up um, like really enjoying? and Our stuff? main
2: influence definitely is the Grateful Dead, you know yeah. we got into in our early teens and started seeing live music through them, and yeah. it was just great from then they turned us on to so much from you know going and see people like the great Stefan Capelli, you know, the violinist and from France, and saw him at the coach house to. Seeing Baba Olin Tunji, drummer from Nigeria, to um, who was that band Beaujolais from New Orleans. Yep, and they just turned us on to this world Doc of Watson, music. You Doc know. Watson, and these guys would David play with Christen. the Dead, or, or, um, or, or some would, and some uh, they would just talk about and say that's their influences. The, the Dead or, had
3: such a diverse influence on their music that yeah. that turned us on to a whole other world of music. So Correct, they would play. Everything from across the world, and they were influenced by everything. So in turn, that turned us on to all this other yeah, music,
1: and we are just opened up. And so, like, uh, what was their drum? Mickey Hart. Yeah was that was their drummer?
2: Yeah, he's one of them. Yeah, yeah.
1: And and he was influenced by a whole bunch of different stuff. Oh yeah, right? and
2: he's one of the he was a ethnomusicologist oh, and okay. a taper. He's one of the original tapers too. He was influenced by guys like Alan Lomax, he used to go around the country back in the forties taping people on their porches. For Library Congress. For Library Congress. Oh, really? And he got, there's a couple other guys that did it around, like through Africa and doing the drums and he got into that and he would go, after tours, he would take off to Africa with his recorder and go through villages and record stuff and meet drummers and bring that back and introduce it to you know, us and the rest of the world. It was great. Yeah.
3: So we yeah. got
2: turned on by that and saw a ton of
3: dead shows, a ton of Garcia shows, but then after that, you know, saw everything. Sonny yeah.
2: Rollins, yeah. Ralph oh Stanley, God. Doc Watson, like Ryan said, Beaujolais. Stefan capelli David chrisman the list just goes it's like countless. We had it written down somewhere. So cool. We were just obsessed and living in LA you would get shows that They would come, people from around the world would come, and they'd play two in New York, two in L.A., and one in San Francisco, and that's the only place you'd see them. And being in L.A., you'd be able to take advantage of that, and we luckily did for quite a few years until our fishing addiction kicked in and kind of took over that. Nice. Yeah. Um, Do you guys...
1: uh Remember the like the parties before going into the dead shows?
2: Oh yeah, the parking lot scene <laughs> was a lot of the fun of everything, without a doubt. So, 1984. Yeah, Ventura. Did you go? Oh yeah. Ah, yeah, my I first was there too. my first show was '83 in Ventura. Uh huh. And then you went '84 to too, huh? Fond memory.
1: '84 yeah. and
2: '85. Oh yeah. yeah, we we hit all those.
1: Did they Did they play after '85? They did. Oh, okay. Yeah. Eighty seven might, might
2: have been their last. Okay. Ventura. Yeah.
1: So in. Uh, in Ventura, uh, there there was all these different bands playing in the parking lot. Man, yeah. it was a crazy. It, it, was, scene. it was so good. Yeah. And then there was people playing trash cans. Yeah, you know, which was really it's interesting fun too, the yeah, old, to to listen the parking to parking lot
2: scenes. It was it was awesome. So that was the thing about it. There were so many different things going on that you can enjoy. Yeah, that it was just yeah. a scene that you couldn't get anywhere else. It was really unique out there. It's like a
1: like a renaissance fair kind of yeah, a vibe. that's true. You know, people with fire and yeah. lights, spinning lights Without around just doubt. so yeah. cool. Yep. And uh, Ventura was, I don't even think I made it into the the actual okay. show. I was just hanging out in the parking lot. Well, they had some, <laughs> some,
2: they had, there was something special about Ventura and the Dead. They loved playing there. A lot of them were daytime shows, which was rare and outdoors. Mm-hmm. And Ventura is known for, there's a power center there. And the Native Americans are tapped into it. Yeah. And there's something special about that. And the dead always seemed to gravitate towards those spots and had really good shows in those areas. Uh-huh. And Ventura was one of them where it was just a really fabulous place to hang out. Yep. And often the shows were extraordinary.
1: That was, it was a great place to grow yeah. up, too. Yeah. <laughs> it was awesome. So, like, uh, I think that um, that'll probably be the, the end of our show, you guys. We've been talking for about an hour. Excellent. And um, that is... Uh, episode one, podcast one, with the Kern River Fly Shop podcast, with the Bueller Bros. I don't think this will be our last time together. I'm, I'm hoping that you guys will come in and, and help me host uh, more I shows. Think and this is sure. going to happen a I, I lot. Don't, I don't think that w- any of us are uh, lost for words at all. So, oh,
2: once you get us going. Huh?
1: <laughs> so, um, thank you very much, you guys, for being here, You're and uh, we'll have you again. Thanks, thanks. All right.